Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the latest on COVID vaccinations in Minnesota, a preview of the upcoming tax filing season, and some new innovations for snowplows at MnDOT. But first... As the COVID pandemic simmered, a new state budget was front and center at the Minnesota Capitol this week when Governor Tim Walz unveiled his proposal. MNN's Bill Werner has a recap. Scott, the governor set the stage for his budget rollout by announcing a wide-ranging K-12 education reform plan that he dubs Due North. The governor wants changes on how state funds are allocated to schools, expanded opportunities for students of color and indigenous students, and for students in greater Minnesota. And the governor says he wants to build the most qualified and diverse teaching workforce in the nation. This needs to be the best state in the country for a child to grow up. Brown, white, black, indigenous. Platitudes, not any substance. That reaction to the governor's proposal from Republican Representative Ron Creshaw from Little Falls, who says it gives no specifics on improving reading and math scores, addressing learning loss from COVID, or closing the achievement gap. Instead, there was a whole lot of, yeah, we just need to do better. That isn't going to take us forward. It's investing in our children. And again, if that's not good enough, if that doesn't lift you up enough, Our state's future is dependent on that. Next day, the governor unveiled his two-year state budget proposal. A million Minnesota families will see cuts to their income tax. We're going to ask the top 0.7% to pay a little bit more. So 1% on the 1% is about what we're looking at. The governor wants an income tax increase on the wealthiest Minnesotans, households with incomes over a million dollars, and on what he calls large, profitable companies. One of the things that we said, and we will continue to say, is we're not going to raise taxes on any Anyone. Said Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. Just so people out there are listening, if your family is making less than $20,000 per week, this isn't going to hit you. The governor proposing the money raised from the top bracket income tax increase go for what he calls new investments, including a 3.5% increase in funding for K-12 education over two years, $50 million in forgivable loans to struggling businesses, and expanding the working family tax credit for over 300,000 households. The impacts you will see is a historic impact in education with a historic coalition that's ready to try and challenge the status quo to make a difference for all of our children and the ability to continue to fight COVID-19. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd says about two-thirds of the tax increases in the governor's plan will disproportionately hit low-income Minnesotans, especially the dollar-a-pack cigarette tax increase. The most regressive tax that you could put in place. So when the governor says he's making people pay their fair share, this tax is taxing low-income people. We're focused on let's get the economy back up and running. Let's get the vaccine out so that businesses won't be forced to shut down by a governor, where kids won't be forced to not be in school by a governor. Senate Republican Leader Gazelka says the state budget can be balanced by tapping the rainy day reserve in combination with minimal program cuts. The governor responds Republicans need to tell Minnesotans how they will be impacted. Did you want me to cut the epidemiologist who found the Brazilian variant? Did you want me to cut the state patrol officer who was protecting cities or out on the highways at night? Be specific. Minnesota's business community is leery, to say the least, of the governor's proposals for tax increases. Minnesota Business Partnership's Charlie Weaver warning businesses will leave 
if higher taxes make Minnesota an island. If there's one thing we learned in COVID is that people can work from anywhere in the country, really anywhere in the world. So we don't want to be in the top one or two or three in the country in terms of these taxes. With general tax increases and an apparent non-starter with Republicans, what about other revenue sources? For example, legalizing sports betting. I will say this. I, I will certainly leave open that possibility. The governor says he'd also like the legislature to look at legalizing recreational marijuana. Such a move would likely face strong opposition in the Republican-controlled Minnesota Senate. As for legalized sports gambling, Senate Majority Leader Gazelka says he's not open to it because of the timing. Any major policy item that has, has a lot of disagreement, I don't foresee happening uh, this year. But in addition, many of us just don't think it's the right thing to do for Minnesota. It is included in the governor's proposal, and Democrats are making another push for paid family and medical leave for all Minnesota employees. Employment and Economic Development Commissioner Steve Grove says in a normal year, 10% of Minnesota workers take family or medical leave, and more than one-fourth do not have any wage replacements. Paid family medical leave program will help workers, and particularly smaller businesses, provide this benefit for the cost of a cup of coffee per week per worker. Minnesota Business Partnership's Charlie Weaver says a better approach would be working with employers to figure out how they can you know, work on benefits and provide benefits, but not at the cost of either a new tax on employees or creating a whole new state bureaucracy that's going to cost tens of millions of dollars. The Democrat-controlled Minnesota House passed a bill last year, but it did not clear the Republican-controlled state Senate. Democrats are again proposing an expansion of state-run Minnesota care, which will allow Minnesotans making more than the current income guidelines to reduce their health insurance costs by paying premiums on a sliding scale, depending on what they make. Duluth Representative Jennifer Schultz, the sponsor of the bill, expands affordable coverage to more Minnesotans by building on a proven program that has served our state well for nearly three decades. But Republican Representative Joe Schumacher from Laverne warns because Minnesota Care reimburses medical providers for less than their overhead. The other shoe's going to drop somewhere. Fewer providers being able to maintain their business out there, fewer hospitals, or it's going to be made up with higher rates on the commercial end. And likely equally controversial, the bill would allow undocumented immigrants to enroll in Minnesota care. And fallout from the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol continued this week at the Minnesota Capitol. Before the Minnesota House passed a resolution condemning violence in Washington, D.C. and at all state capitals, a group of Republicans accused Democratic leaders of making false allegations about their attending a state capitol rally the same day as the Washington, D.C. riots. DFL Majority Leader Ryan Winkler responded, Fortunately, the determination was made that no members of this body had engaged in incitement of violence on the steps of the state capitol that day, but it doesn't mean that asking the question was the wrong thing to do, considering what had happened in Washington, D.C. that same day. But Republican Representative Steve Draskowski from Mazeppa took Democratic leaders to task. When you go out and make allegations of people with absolutely no evidence that the six members who spoke at the rally did anything wrong. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community, too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. 
Throughout the state, Minnesota Electric Co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. It seems we're being bombarded with information about COVID-19 every day, and today's no different. I recently spoke with state epidemiologist Chris Ayersman for the latest on how vaccination distribution is going, how the state is doing in keeping cases down, and where folks can go to find out more about keeping themselves and their families safe. First of all, know that we do not have enough vaccine for all the groups that both need to be vaccinated and want to be vaccinated. Um, when, when the federal government made the announcement two weeks ago that they wanted states to open up to individuals 65 and older, we had not yet completed our phase 1A vaccination, which was for elders in skilled nursing and long-term care, as well as for healthcare workers. And so we ended up adding, you know, an additional 918,000 people uh, who are 65 and older in Minnesota who both need to be vaccinated and want to be vaccinated. But our allocations for vaccine have not gone up. And so the challenge is that we just don't, we simply do not have enough vaccine for everyone who wants it. So if, if you are eager to be vaccinated, certainly having signed up on the the state's list was a good idea, or we are working to get vaccine out to our healthcare providers as well, who will also be vaccinating the 65 plus population. And so as they get vaccine from us, then they will be reaching out to their patients to say, hey, we've got this opportunity um, for vaccination, and are you interested? So I think that you know, aside from signing up on that list, our goal is to get um, vaccine out to as many providers as possible so people can receive it via their usual source of care. I know that the state health department has been saying for, for quite some time, and, and the governor has been saying that one of the obstacles has been uh, help and guidance from the federal government. Has that changed at all with the change of administration, or where are we with the federal government and getting the vaccines out there? Um, well, one thing that we did learn this week um, from the new administration, which is was encouraging, is they did indicate that our uh, weekly allocation would increase by 16 percent, um, which is certainly, you know, it's not huge, but it's certainly better than being, um, you know, at, at, at sort of the same level. And they've said that we could expect that um, for three weeks. So that is really helpful to us in our planning is just knowing what to expect um, for several weeks into the future. But again, even with increases, our, our supply is so much less than, um, you know, what, what we need to meet the demand in the pop- population. 
Chris, in, in recent weeks, we've had uh, the, the totals for deaths and uh, positive test cases have been down. Uh, is that a trend? And, and if it is, what do we attribute that to? Um, yes, we have had both the total number of cases and deaths um, go down, and we're delighted about that. Um, you know, we feel like we are we have seen people being careful about their activities, so we think that makes a difference. Um, and, you know, we're pleased. We know that our activity, for instance, in skilled nursing and long-term care has started to slow down, which they benefit from less activity in the community. So that's good. And as we're getting those populations vaccinated, that will make a very big difference um, because our most vulnerable um, populations are those that are 75 and older. In terms of distribution of vaccines, obviously we've got different phases and different groups that are priorities, but are there any disparities in terms of getting uh, the vaccine out to folks who need it between uh, disparities between, say, urban and rural throughout the state? You know, we've worked very hard to make sure that when we're allocating vaccine that we are getting it um, to providers and to locations across the state. So, for instance, when we started um, with the very first vaccination, we had hub and spoke. So, in other words, um, key sites in each region that could receive that very um, ultra-cold stored vaccine. And then um, it would go from those hubs to spokes. But that was within each region. It was allocated on a pro rata basis. So, in other words, um, you know, the metro area has about half of the, the population. So obviously when you do a pro rata allocation, they will get more vaccine, but that's because they have a larger population. So we tried, have tried to make sure that we're allocating vaccine um, on, a, on a pro rata basis across the state and making sure that all of our regions are getting um, some vaccine as we're distributing this very limited supply. All right. Good information, Chris. I think that's uh, that's kind of what I was looking for. I did want to give you an opportunity, if we do have listeners out there that want to find out more about the vaccination or find out anything about COVID, where would you direct them? Um, I would really encourage people to look to the Minnesota Department of Health website. We have um, extensive information on COVID-19, and we also link to the Centers for Disease Control website. We have information about the vaccines. Um, we have information in many different languages. So, yes, if you, if you want to know more about COVID or COVID vaccines, I would encourage you to check out our website. And then I would say, um, if you're someone who really wants to be vaccinated, first, I thank you for being willing because, um, you know, getting to 80% coverage in our population is what's going to help us turn the tide. So I thank you for being willing to be part of that. But I also ask that you be patient because, you know, we are we are in a really tough spot right now where we're just not getting enough vaccine to meet the need. Um, and we can't vaccinate everyone at once. And so and, and that's not because, again, our healthcare system can't handle it. It's because we just don't have the doses. So I thank people for their enthusiasm and I um, ask them for patience as we work our way through this. Thank you to my guest, state epidemiologist Chris Ayersman. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The income tax filing season is right around the corner. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. For some, filing taxes means a nice refund. For others, well, paying Uncle Sam. Joining me today is Ryan Brown with the Minnesota Department of Revenue. Ryan, let's talk about the filing season. It's opening up much later this year compared to years past. Can you explain this? Sure. So Minnesota's income tax season will be opening Friday, February 12th. Uh, That's the same day as the IRS. And you're right, typically we do open mid to late January. uh, But this year, um, the later date allows the IRS some additional time for programming and testing of their systems. Following that uh, December 27th tax law change that provided that second economic stimulus package. What is the best and most secure way to file your income tax returns? Yeah, uh, filing electronically and choosing direct deposit is the most convenient and secure way to file your return and get any refund you're due. Uh, last year, we had about over 90% of taxpayers file electronically, and about three out of four income tax filers chose that direct deposit. Ryan, I know the Department of Revenue takes protecting your personal information and your tax refund very seriously. You know, we always encourage people to, when they have all the information they need to file, they should file sooner rather than later. So they're getting that refund and there's no, there's less of a chance for someone to file fraudulently in their name. Uh, we'll take the time necessary to protect that taxpayer information and review every return. Some of those returns or some of those reviews may take a little longer than others, but we're just doing so so we can make sure we're sending the right refund to that right taxpayer. Another good reminder, don't spend your refund until you see that money in your bank account. To learn more about identity theft, you can see the Identity Theft and Tax Refund Fraud page on the Department of Revenue's website. Now let's talk about uh, folks that are excited about getting a refund this year. Ryan, is there a good way to track it? Yep, right on our homepage, there's a Where's My Refund uh, application. They can put in their information and see what stage uh, their return is, including uh, the final stage, which will say the date that the return was sent, um, either the check or that direct deposit. And another good reminder is that there is free tax preparation help out there across the state. Who is eligible for uh, these different services? Yes, yeah, so there's some free file, um, free electronic filing information on our website. If you search keyword free file, it'll bring up a list of certified software vendors who um, can offer free services uh, for those Minnesotans with an adjusted gross income of $72,000 or less. Um, and then beginning mid-February, the year, there'll be about 200 or a little more than 200 free tax preparation sites opening up around the state. Um, and some of those will be virtual, some will be walk-in, but all the volunteers at those sites are certified by the IRS to prepare returns um, in communities across the state for Minnesotans. Well, Ryan, we're about out of time. Is there anything else you want to add today? Um, you know, one thing that we uh, anticipate coming up in this new in this filing season, we you know a lot of people may have had um, life changes in 2020 due to the pandemic, um, and some of the questions that we get um, kind of surround that those economic stimulus payments um, and unemployment compensation and whether those are taxable. So those economic stimulus payments, the $1,200 and $600, are not taxable in Minnesota or at the federal level, but the unemployment compensation, including the additional $600 that Congress added on, those would be taxable under Minnesota law as they always have been. Thanks again to my guest, Ryan Brown, with the Department of Revenue. For more information on this year's income tax filing season, you can head online to revenue.state.mn.us. Again, that's revenue.state.mn.us. 
back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh. I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This winter, MnDOT is trying out four new types of equipment aiming to more efficiently remove snow and ice from the state's roads. As MNN's J.W. Cox reports, that includes a new kind of slurry spreader, an underbody scraper, a two-way plow blade, and a variation on the side wing float. Scott, for MnDOT maintenance research engineer Tom Peters, this program is not about trying to reinvent the wheel when it comes to the essential tools for road clearing. Nothing new about a snowplow. We've had snowplows for generations around here in Minnesota. What we're attempting to do is become more efficient with the snowplow. When you look at a snowplow going down a road, it's like a point in time that you can we can handle and address the issues of winter maintenance on the road. We can come back and, and treat it, treat and do what we have to do some more, but during that point in time that that plow is on that road, the more we can take care of more winter maintenance business we can take care of on that point on the road. Work is more efficient. It's uh, more timely for the public to, to use that road then. Peter says they've combined the new tech onto a few individual plows and will try them out in different districts, saving time while still getting a complete picture of how the equipment works. We could easily have a couple of research projects going on here on this. We, we did a part of last winter season up in our MnDOT District 2, which is the northwestern part of our state. They didn't get the equipment in as soon as they wanted to for the manufacturers, and, and it was a little tougher to install. So they didn't get a real good first winter out of it, and they wanted to be able to keep it for another winter. So we have it up there again this winter, and then the following winter, which will be next winter, we're going to have it in the, Met, in the Twin Cities metro area at one of our metro districts. It'll be the Northwest Twin Cities metro district, and the truck station is out of Maple Grove. And so this year we're getting... We're getting a couple of, we've written trucks on a couple of locations that are more rural uh, types of roadways, long stretches, two-lane roads, and to see how the reaction is there. Um, when we go down to the metro area, we're going to have that be more in conjunction with a multi-lane uh, snow, snow plow gang plowing type effort to see how it can improve the situation there. Peter says they'll gather info on the success of the pilot project in a variety of ways. We have surveyed and will continue to survey the plow operators and their supervisors as to what how they feel this equipment is is being is performing. But then we're also going to go a step further 
and we we're going to take a look at some uh, data-driven product evaluations for when we want to track our quantities and usages for our winter season. We have a couple of different databases um, that are that we can utilize, and what we're going to do is we're going to compare, do some comparison of what we see on the databases when we have we have uh, routes being taken care of with, with this technology and without the technology and try to do some side-by-side -side comparisons in terms of uh, how the slurry spreaders work and the material usage. And so, um, in a nutshell, we, this is a step, this is a good step to try to do, you know, numerical value assessments and see if we feel it's worthwhile or not. One of the pieces of technology being tested is a different kind of slurry spreader. It'll allow us to direct the slurry spray. Right now we have a situation with our slurries that we use where it will basically just cast and do a spinner spinner kind of uh, distribution. So we typically now have positioned them on the left side of our plow trucks because in the, certainly in the two-lane situation, uh, rural situation, that's typically the crown of the road. So if we want the material, we would like to have the material more towards the center, center lane of a two-lane road. Um, and then when it, as it works and does its, uh, its uh, melting, it'll it'll slow down across the roadway. Um, but what what these slurry spreaders are are supposed to be doing, and uh, we're told, and I think are doing pretty well, is you can do directional spraying of them. So you can shift it uh, to either the left center center distribution or a right distribution. And I think that'll come more in handy with the metro scenario than it would with the rural, but in both cases, you want to see how that works. The underbody scraper that's part of the trial, Peter says, has some key differences that may make MnDOT's efforts more efficient. We have underbody scrapers on some of our trucks. What the key difference here is, is this one, the way it's attached to the truck, and it does allow us to move it. Um, it's, just, it's supposed to be an easier attachment for the, the mechanics to install and, and take off. And then it's also, we also are able to direct it a little better too. Um, and so it's a little more of a um, efficiency in terms, I think we anticipate in terms of just the on and off of, of putting it on. Because again, in, in, the, in the summertime we have, we will take that underbody plow off if it's been put on a truck. Peter says he is appreciative of the support from the state level over the years for programs like this that allow them to do their jobs in the best way possible. We walk a fine line. We walk a fine line between meeting expectations of the motoring public to have provide a safe, clear road, a reasonably in a time thereafter winter event. But yet we have to be environmentally responsible and financially responsible. And we have to, I think we at MnDOT want to demonstrate as well as put into practice new ways of trying trying to be, again, responsible to the, the expectations of our motoring public, responsible to the expectations of those that are concerned immediately with the environment around the roads, and with those concerned with uh, the, the efficiency of cost and what we're trying to do with our operations. Um, and it's, it's, again, it's a fine balance, but we're this is one more way if we can enhance with, this is an overused term, term if we can put one more good tool in our toolbox in treating winter maintenance, that's what we're really interested in Brad, trying to be able to do. Scott, back to you. Thanks, JW. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.